Team Team, Boafik, I hope you're ready to discuss Caribbean literature. I'm Mayla, a romance author from Guadeloupe. This is how I present myself today, but it took me about 20 years to give myself permission to write about my people falling in love and finding happiness. Why? Well, thank you for asking and I'm going to tell you why. I never got to read about Caribbean people being happily in love until 2019. And chances are, especially if you're listening to this podcast in 2021, you probably haven't either. That's why I decided to record my discussions with Caribbean authors who will give you an idea of their motivations and the issues they faced to get their romance stories published. My hope is for you to be inspired to write, to buy, because we're here to support, and to read romance stories set in the Caribbean with Caribbean people. On why. Team Team, Boafik, welcome to episode 5, part 2. This is the final episode. Thank you so much for being on this journey with me. And thank you to all the amazing authors who shared their experiences and their passion for writing. Today we're in Antigua and Barbuda with Lilsey Adams. In this segment, we talk about being intentional when it comes to writing Caribbean characters who find love and true happiness. We also talked about how important it is to write Caribbean characters practicing safe sex. Rielzi also explains why she chose to self-publish and has no plan to change her process to get her stories out there for now. I hope you will enjoy this discussion. Tim Tim, Tim Tim, So right now there are three books. Well, maybe we can say four and a half because there's oh, one. Oh, sorry, the one with William you Mind, that's the Johnson series. So that's the sixth the six book series okay um, when I started so when I written will you be mine I knew that I wanted to write about a woman who had exiled herself from the Caribbean um, because there were things at home that she did not want to face and then she had to go back to the island for the wedding of her um, quote-unquote ex-best friend um, throughout the Johnson series um, and so that was so it became the second book because the first book made more sense after I'd written it to be the first book so Willie B. Manuel set 98% of it on Antigua and then the fifth book in the series The Sweetest Escape is another one where one of the brothers went to Antigua and then his relationship most of the book maybe 80% of the book happened on Antigua and he fell in love with an Antiguan girl I knew at some stage I wanted to write a book or a series of books set entirely on Antigua from start to finish and I was just biding my time um so because I really wanted to finish the series the six book series first before I went into it and so when I got to the fifth book, I was struggling with the sixth one and Christmas was coming up. So I thought, well, here's a good time to introduce um, my all Antigua, like set completely on Antigua series. So that's how Love on the Rock um, came to be. 
So did you know right away that you would create a series? Yeah, so the Love on the Rock series was not meant to be a series in the way that Falling Like a Johnson was a series where the books took place um, sequentially and they followed like a family or, or something like that. Um, the Love on the Rock set of books were just meant to signify that these books are set completely um, in on Antigua. When I, when I wrote The 12 Dates of Christmas, I didn't intend to follow Fran and Fran's story at all. But halfway through, I thought, hmm, this, this may be interesting. So maybe um, I can have two books, one going after the other. But then it kind of created a, a, a little bit of a problem because a lot of the books were meant to stand alone, kind of like Birthday Shot and the one that's coming up eventually um, after this where they weren't really going in a sequential nature. The only thing they had in common were that they were set completely on Antigua. Well, I must say, I totally love this series. Like, I think I read each book like three times. Oh, thank you. Because uh, I, I read a lot of romance books and it's only U.S. Black romance. So it feels so good to, to read romance set in the Caribbean country and to feel like uh, to feel like it's something that could have been me. You know, representation matters. When I found it, uh, I started with 12 dates on Christmas, I think. And I think it was also on Christmas. No, I started with brand new. Oh, my God. That's my favorite one. I love it. I love it so much. And then I, I went back to the 12 dates on Christmas. And then I think you, me, please baby. And then birthday shot. So how would you describe this series in three words? Well, you can, you can, you can say four words if you want to. I'm okay with that. I know the, the one word that I really, really want, and this seems like a cop out, but um, when writing where this was concerned, um, the, the one thing that I really wanted it to be like and feel like was like an Antiguan which I, I guess may seem like a, a cop-out but like I was very intentional with everything from the food choices to the music to um to those sorts of things but I also wanted them for the most part to be not necessarily heartwarming but I guess my general brand for everything I write I want the books to to inspire like belief in and wow that is a lot more than four words sorry <laughs> it's me, okay let me stay focused um Antiguan full of love and spicy I guess yeah <laughs> so, uh, um, my three words uh, were well sexy because there are sex scenes and they're very hot and Okay, it's yeah. obviously, yeah. Sincere, because if they were real people, it's the kind of people I, I'd like to be friends with. Again, even if I'm not I'm not from Antigua, I still felt like it was real. So so maybe so maybe the word wouldn't be sincere. Maybe it would be real. It, it yeah. felt real. The third word is home. There's really this feeling of home. Again, I'm not from Antigua, but I don't know. It, it, Maybe it's because in the first book of the series, uh, you have Rashad who's coming back home and for Christmas. So yeah. there's this family spirit and this family atmosphere. So maybe that's why. And then Fran and Andre, they're trying to build a family together also. So I don't know, maybe that, I don't know. It's 
home, that's the word that came to my mind when I was thinking about it. It really feels like like I'm at home. And uh, and and you know, the the first, how do you say, the first rom-com, the first Caribbean rom-com, uh, The Sweetest Mango. Yeah. Did you watch it? Yeah. Yes. Well, I had the same feeling when I watched it. Eba, eba. <laughs> I'm talking French. <laughs> That's why I'm, I'm, that means I'm very comfortable when the French comes out. Yeah. The feeling that I had when I was reading your books, it's the feeling, it's the feeling that I had when I was watching The Sweetest Mango. And I love the film so, so much. So that, that makes me smile very hard. <laughs> um, because that was a big deal for us growing up. I think the movie was released when I was about 11 or 12. So yeah, you, I'm, you can't see me, but I'm smiling very, <laughs> very, um, very wide right now. That's, that's awesome to have such great memories about um, good Caribbean representation. We kind of have that in Guadeloupe and Martinique, but the films are more about our trauma from slavery than just looking at us trying to be happy and trying to find love and just trying to live our daily lives. So. Yeah, I remember um, I was sat with one of my friends and I said to her, like, and I feel like generally Black people on a whole feel this way. Um, there are so few spaces where we're, we're just allowed to exist in uh, just showing our happiness, showing our love. And I do, I do agree that a lot of um, Caribbean-based books they do delve a lot into colonialism and and those sort of those sort of um things. And I said, but I just really want to write about people like people meeting each other, having sushi and falling in love. So that's always usually on the forefront of my mind when I'm also writing. And I think that's why Birthday Shot is currently like the fa my favorite book that I've ever written. Oh, wow. Okay. You're intentional in the way you write. And I really like how you presented it because sometimes I feel like authors, writers are like, I just write as, as I go. And it's just, I let the story takes me wherever it wants to take me. But in the meantime, yeah, it's like they let the muse do everything and they don't take res responsibility in the fact that they do write sad stories and they do write dramatic stories and they will justify it by saying, yeah, but it's realistic. I get it. There are dramatic things in life, but there are also there's also happiness. So, so why cannot you write about, about that also? And of course, everybody is free to write whatever they want but I, I really like how you said you're intentional about writing happiness and writing writing us being happy with each other <laughs> sorry so uh well speaking of that how do you come up with physical descriptions are you comfortable with the physical descriptions of, of your characters i think my descriptions really do range from I will set you up so that you know whether or not the person has like a deep brown shade or or lighter brown. I know that I really do tend to stick to brown eyes, um, light brown, um, dark brown, deep brown, or just generally brown. But I think generally speaking, once I initially describe the shade of your skin, I probably don't do it again very much until I've gotten to a sex scene. But I don't think I, I spend a lot of time thinking about um, 
physical descriptions. I know there's a checklist that you follow. Persons want to know if you're tall, how you're built, the shade of your skin, the color of your eyes, your lips. Um, how do you keep your hair? I, I'm really particular to box braids um, and so on and so forth. But I do really like my I, my read because when I read I like to fill in most things myself mm-hmm. um so I like to leave space for for readers to fill in how the person looks um on their own like in detail and uh so you mentioned the sex scenes is it easy for you to write a sex scene I think the only thing I I criticized in 12 Dates on Christmas. I think at some point they, they don't use condoms, but I felt like they weren't in a place to trust each other so much that they can go at it. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. So yeah, how do you write your, your sex scenes? Like, because you won a big prize a, a few months ago. It was for Go Deep, I think. Yes, yes. Yeah, and it, it's in the erotica genre, right? Yes. Yes. So you're good at writing those scenes. <laughs> you're very good. Um, interestingly enough, sex scenes are my least favorite scenes to write. Like, I don't think them at all, which is odd because I, I would say even more, more so that a contemporary romance writer, I would say more so that I actually write erotic romance. So I'm, I'm not sure um, why it is that they're my least favorite scenes to write, my least favorite scenes to edit. I just do it. I just get, I don't know. Once I get started, um, it's pretty easy to just, well, not easy, but it flows. It might not be like, I know that when I'm looking at what I have left to do in the book, if it's a lot of like, if I'm coming up on a sex scene, I'm like, okay, well, this is going to take several hours um, where moving the plot along may not, may not do so. And so books that are, because I do have some books that are just one in my mind, one long sex scene like brand new is in my opinion one long sex scene um and um those are usually my the most difficult for me to write um and with regards to the safe sex in writing so initially my my point of view was safe sex is important but a lot of the times even though um it's 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 not the best thing people don't have the safest sex Um, that was initially my point of view. Like, even though the the most logical thing is to have the conversations about condoms and testing, which is very important. A lot, lots of the times in real life, in reality, we're guilty of blind faith. Um, and so that's that's what I, I I used to think. But now I'm a lot more intentional about um, making sure that there is a depiction of safe sex in my writing. And when the condoms are dropped, there's a conversation that's had. Or if a condom's not used, there's a thought process that goes into it afterwards. Sex education in France would be around the age of 14. I, I remember I had one, one sex ed class when I was in middle school. Mm-hmm. but it only happened like uh, once or twice and it was during the biology um, class and I grew up in the in the 90s early early 2000s and um, it was a time that there was a lot of campaigns about using condoms and um, HIV AIDS and all that but in the meantime I always felt that 
the kids are not taught really how to protect themselves and how to practice safe sex. So was it uh, the same for you? Or I, I feel like in the Caribbean, it's really like just either abstinence and because of religion, don't do it until you get married or just do whatever you, you want to do. And it's okay. And, and whatever happens, happen. Um, I, I do know um, when I was in form two, so that's around age 12, we did have a course called interpersonal relationships. Um, and they did cover, I guess, sex educationally based um, things. And we did speak about um, condom usage, even though granted celibacy was the abstinence sorry was the major focus and i guess a lot of it was them trying to scare you into abstinence um we did get um some conversation about condom usage and, and safe sex ish but yes i do agree um it was it was very much very focused on attempting to scare us into um being abstinent as more so than like a proper go through of what safe sex and informed consent would entail and I, I i did always feel like if that there's like a ground level course at 12 which would have been useful but then at 15 or 16 um there should have been a more expansive sort of course that would have focused on informed consent and those sorts of things um so so i do agree yeah and uh i remember i had another question but it was more about your male characters because i think for us french caribbean i mean people struggle a lot to picture black men being good men so i, I was wondering for you if it was Uh, because you talked you talked about being intentional in the way you write uh, love and you write happiness, but like Quentin in Brand New, he's not uh, your typical sweet guy. He's more like a womanizer, but still, I love him, and he's usually not my type of character. But in the way you wrote it, I, I felt like there was more to to him just being a womanizer so when when you come up with your male characters also they communicate and also they they're vulnerable and uh was it easy for you to write them like that um so well let me say something about quentin though so i wouldn't call quentin a womanizer so for me so i'm very sex positive okay um and i i don't actually um I consider a womanizer to be someone who is um, selling dreams <laughs> to women in an attempt to be physical with them. Okay. Um, and I have a huge problem with men who will tell you anything, will lie to you, will plan a wedding with you um, because they want to have sex with you when they know they're not looking for any sort of relationship. And where Quentin was, con was concerned, I was very clear to show like how Regina would have thought that, hey, you're like no good dirty dog um you're going through women can't done and then he's there going yes i'm having a lot of sex i'm having a lot of safe sex i think in brand new i was very very careful to emphasize the safety of the sex and um the condom usage because i knew that he wasn't being monogamous um he was having like a lot of partners 
And he was like, I'm having a loss of sex. I'm having a loss of safe sex, but I'm having a loss of sex where persons are having, are able to inform and have informed consent, knowing that I'm not after a relationship. Um, I, I feel as if there are lots of people who equate being good men only with monogamy, like being in a one long-term um, relationship. When I do believe that there's so many ways in which relationships can play out, but the important part is the honesty factor and um, not attempting to trick persons and um, just being honest and upfront. So that was why I wanted to write someone like Quentin who was unapologetic about the fact that where I'm at in life right now, I'm not ready to settle down. I'm not pretending that I am. Um, I'm here to have fun. And if you're willing to have fun with me too, well, let's have fun. But then of course, sometimes eventually you, you're having fun runs out when you realize that there may be someone that you want to be with, be with. What I'm very intentional about are my male characters, um, with them being very loving and very open and very intentional and um, very vulnerable and big on communication. And that's honestly because I know there's a huge stereotype about Black men not being that way. And I, even though I know that it can be struggle street sometime when it comes to love, there are men who are, who are that way. I have a lot of, I have, I have a lot of male friends who are exactly that way with their partners. And I feel as if those sort of men should be represented and women should know that, hey, yeah, they are out there. So don't, don't settle. On Bookstagram, there's this debate about being authentic in your Caribbean your Caribbeanity, let's call it that way. So I, I'm very puzzled about how people define being authentically Caribbean because again, if I come back to my French Caribbean background, for me, I don't speak Creole. So I, I'm okay with my characters being Caribbean and not speak Creole. So yeah, I, I feel like food and language are two things people look at to say that it's Caribbean. No, it's not. It's not authentically Caribbean. The Love on the Rock series, I, I don't see how anyone could say that it's not Caribbean, authentically Caribbean. But how would you define that being authentic in your Caribbeanity? For me, the, the books that I write on Antigua represent to me the, the life that I observe my friends live the life that I observe, not, not from a plot point or anything like that, but for example, birthday shot opens up with a party that everyone's late to where persons are playing domino and listening to burning flames. And um, we're having a, a party. They're having a party where there's a lot of liquor, even more so than finger food. And you have older folks um, making jokes and uh, your father dancing while he's manning the grill. To me, that's an authentic Antiguan experience. Yeah, I, I don't know who gets to gatekeep what is authentically Caribbean or not, but for me, I'm replicating in these series the day-to-day -day lives that I, I see um, persons live on a daily basis.
each person has their own experience of what being Caribbean is. So it's actually great if we have books that reflect these different kinds of experiences. And sometimes I feel like readers just don't want that diversity, like true diversity. They just want one kind of Caribbean representation. If you stray away from that, then they, they, they're, they're kind of lost. The more we read and the more we have contemporary books, then I feel like people will be more open-minded, hopefully. I mean, yeah, because I do find that interesting because the one thing that I know for persons like my contemporaries, like around my age group, so like 30 plus and like 25, like, 25 to maybe 40, the, the ones who like buy the books here and they, they read them, a lot of the feedback that I've gotten was that, yeah, this, this, this feels Antiguan. And so that's how I, I formed the view that, well, okay, at, like I've got it here, at least people are recognizing they, they can relate to, um, to certain things. Tim Tim, Tim Tim, I self-published right away because I am an attorney and I wanted to be able to control my time. I didn't want to be working on other people's deadlines. I wanted to ensure that if work got busy, if I got landed a big case and I needed to be working on my day job, that I would have the space to do so without anxiety. And so I didn't consider publishing traditionally. Since you have a day job, that's something that I noticed. So far, all the authors that I've interviewed, they all, they all have a day job and uh, writing isn't their main occupation. So what's your writing routine? Because you wrote a lot in a few years. Yeah, sometimes it does get quite overwhelming. Um, and I'm still learning to give myself grace or to find a ways in which I can understand that things won't always go according to plan but where writing is concerned I am meant to write for about two to three hours every day um, an hour in the morning and an hour in the afternoon like before work and after work and then I don't really do anything on my weekends other than write generally Um, so that's when I get in like good five, six hour chunks on Saturdays and Sundays. It doesn't always work out the way I want it to. Um, but that is that is what I aim for. My job is also very, very um, intense. Um, so sometimes things don't go very well because I'm stressed at work or I'm stressed after work or there's a case that's Um, emotionally draining and I'm just at a point where I'm trying to give myself grace to understand that that was the reason that I chose to self-publish in the first place um, because things don't always go according to plan. How do you do the editing part? I currently am working with freelance editors, um, one, specific, one specifically, um, so I attempt to do maybe two rounds of edits on my own and then she will clean up afterwards. I format myself. I don't do the covers myself. I outsource um, the covers. Um, I feel as a primarily the hard part is the, the writing and then attempting to market. Rebel Woman Lead had a Zoom session with Nalo Hopkinson. And uh, she said that she didn't want to self-publish because it required too much 
energy and money investment. She didn't feel like she had it in her to, to do all that. But I'm thinking if we had publishing houses in the Caribbean, not necessarily big ones, but if we had something that could accommodate self-publishers also, would it be something that you'd be interested in? Like to outsource your editing and your in the physical copies and all that? I mean, at this stage, no. Um, when I first started out, the thing is, um, when when I first first started out, it was an investment in time, not even so much um, money. Um, you're doing everything on your own. Um, you're finding people who could help, like friends who may be good at English. And like, for example, my ex-boyfriend used to help me with at least two rounds of edits. So I would edit two rounds and then he'd do a round and then I'd correct the changes and then he'd do another round. That's how I got by in the start. I can't speak for traditional publishing at all because to be honest, I know nothing about it. <laughs> um, it'd be very um, disingenuous for me to pretend that I do. I don't know anything about it, but what I would say is that I really do think that a lot of people write off self-publishing for several reasons. Um, one, um, the investment in time, even though the investment in money really can come after. And then and there are a lot of people who edit at a decent rate. But I do think that sometimes the, the thing that is not said, even though persons say it's a loss of time, it's a loss of effort, I just really don't want to do it on my own, is still what seems, in my opinion, to be the pervasive belief that somehow um, it has less validity than being traditionally published. I, I didn't think of it that way until you said it, but it makes sense. Because the, the, the thing with self-publishing is it really can, when you start, or even now, be as expensive as you can afford as it, it can be very expensive it can be marginally expensive it can be um not that not that bad it's it depends on like where you're looking for help for example my covers like all of the covers for the johnsons every single one of those six they cost me 20 us dollars okay 20 us yeah, every 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 single every single one. Okay. Um, I, I used Fiverr. I had someone on Fiverr who I thought did really nice covers. Like let's say about twenty five, and that included her Fiverr fee and then paying her the equivalent of her fee as a chip. So to me, there are ways. The one thing you cannot get away from though is the investment in time. But um, I. Do wish that other that that person generally were not either because there are people who are generally intimidated by self-publishing because they it is a loss of work. Um, but I wish that persons would re would realize that it can be difficult, but not as hard as you may think. Um, so as long as you have the time to invest and you you're able to go at your own pace, and um, and then I guess for the validity issue. Um, there's really nothing that you can do about that. Like I have a friend who sat, who has been sitting on several books um, that he's just very adamant that self-publishing is not for him because it is not traditional publishing. And everyone, I guess everyone has to decide what's in, what's best for them, what works for them most, but self-publishing is a viable option. Um, with regards to Caribbean publishing houses, 
For persons who want to traditionally publish, I feel as if in circumstances where you're you're writing Caribbean fiction, having publishing houses that are based in the region um, and they are understanding of the unique difficulties um, that may be associated with writing in the region and getting your work out there, then it would be useful for them. But I don't think that I, I'm qualified to speak at all on traditional publishing because it really is never on my radar. What's your take on digital books? Because for me, I think part of what I really like about you, once you have a lot of books, and two, I can download them. And yet there are still uh, not so many Caribbean books that are available in a digital format. For you, was it because it was easier as a self-publishing author to have them on Amazon? Well, to be honest, I really only read ebooks. <laughs> so every so often, like I buy a physical copy of a book and it's just on my bookshelf as decoration, I guess. Um, I I love ebooks because I read very fast and I I like that my Kindle can fit into a bag and I have so many books that I can choose from not just my Kindle, but my phone. And I like having to not, not needing to wait for it to get here, um, depending on what I'm looking for. And when I first started, I published eBooks because they were easy and because I only read eBooks. But eventually um, persons started saying, but where are the physical copies? Where are the physical copies? And that was when I decided that I would also offer physical copies. But when I first started, there was no intention for physical copies at all. I resisted for a really long time. So I think um, The Gift was published in 2017 and the physical copy for The Gift um, only came out in 2020. And would you have audiobooks? Would you be interested in that? Because I feel like right now it's all about audiobooks. Well, I think audiobooks are useful for several reasons. Um, persons may just be unable to, to use their eyes. Um, they may have disabilities or um, persons may like reading while they're, um, they're driving um, so, or cleaning. Just So I think it comes from a space where either one, it may be difficult to read a physical book because of physical reasons or two, Um, because of just general circumstances, it may be easier. Or I know persons who read physical books a lot. And so audiobooks is like also a very, a way to switch us up. Um, I think if the opportunity existed for me, I would be interested in audiobooks. But I don't think that like audiobooks are something that I would take on doing on my own. That seems like a project that I really wouldn't have the time or resources um, to to get done. So that would be something that I'd have to partner with a publishing, an audio publishing company um, for. So do you think Caribbean romance can hit big? Um, you see, I, I think so, I guess, generally. I'd say this, this much about um, Caribbean romance, though. I find more so than any other group of people Caribbean persons seem to look down on romance as a genre, as a whole. When I was growing up, I was told very often that they were trashy books and crappy books and not serious and um, read edifying things and so on and 
and so forth and so on and so forth. And I heard it a lot. So I guess maybe there's a new generation coming up where persons may start feeling differently, but it may not be, I guess this may be a hot take, but I find um, unless Caribbean readers are generally reading romance novels on the down low and they're not being um they're not the types of books that they're posting to their um their bookstagram pages or um their booktube pages i find a lot of time romance generally are not what i see like very visible Caribbean readers reading. I feel the same way. And I, I think it's also because of what I we were talking about earlier, the fact that Caribbean people struggle to see themselves as people who can fall in love, who can be happy in love. And two, it's the fact that it doesn't feel like something serious and something worthy of attention. So that's why they, they don't, They would easily criticize romance. The word romance scares people. And I think it's because people are scared of love. And we are living in a time when being happy is considered to be a weakness. If you're happy, if you're nice to people, if, you, if you're a good person, then people think you're dumb and you're stupid. And, uh, and people don't want to be stupid. So I get it also. But what I want is... 20 years from now, teenage girls and teenage boys have common references about books and characters that they look up to. Like you said earlier, you talked about uh, Joanne C. Hill House. I feel like she's the only one that would create this kind of feeling uh, for people when it comes to love, the representation of love. And Tiga also have The Sweetest Mango. So if you go and I tell you what kind of love story in cinema do you know of, well, you can still talk about The Sweetest Mango, but I don't have that. I grew up, I didn't feel represented in the books that I read in them. And even if we actually have a lot of great writers who are recognized on the international scene, Everything they write is only about suffering. It's never about us being happy. It's never about us being in love. I'm already past 30. I don't want those who are coming after us, I don't want them to not feel represented. I, I don't want them to feel like happiness and love are only for other people. I want them to feel included in that also, in that kind of representation. For that, we have. that's why I want to encourage authors. And even if you haven't written a book yet, if you have started a story, then go ahead, write it and publish it. It's okay. Even if it's not good, that's not the point. The fact that you wrote it, that means it, it exists and it can always, and it means you can write another one and another one and you can improve. And at some point you can have people who read and who are happy to read what you wrote. And uh, yeah, so, so which writing advice would you give to your younger self? When I was younger, I really didn't think that there would be this space for me to tell these stories. And um, when I was younger, I used to hide the fact that I read a lot of romance novels because they were not serious. And even when I started writing romance exclusively, I'd go, I'd write romance. But I remember that I've had for the longest while, like this women's fiction, it's definitely women's fiction. It wouldn't classify as a romance um, based on 
um, the structure of romance novels. I'd have this, I've had this idea for a woman's fiction piece in my head. And whenever anyone would ask me what I was writing, I would be like, well, I'm writing this romance novels, but the book that I really want to publish is this one because I somehow thought that it was less valid. It took a while before I was able to proudly say, yeah, I am a romance writer with the caveat that I may drop a fantasy book at some time um, and don't look at it funny because I can write other things. But at my core, I am a writer and a reader of romance and it is valid and it is important. And the fact that I can write a book that someone can pick up up when they're having a bad day and just escape to something blissfully happy one thing a lot of persons who review a lot of my works are they're not all light and fluffy in fact the book that's being published next is um pretty um uh, not dark but it's definitely not light or fluffy um all the time but a lot of my books are um, my 2020 books were intentionally very light and very fluffy the the guys were more more cinnamon roll-ish than ever, because I thought that people needed the space to read a book and go, oh, like this has transported me to some place where I don't have to worry about a pandemic. I don't have to worry about my bad job. I don't have to worry about the fact that maybe my relationship is not going the way I want it to go. And that's valid and that's important and that's a gift. So I wish that I could tell my past self that this is valid, this is important, and in the future you'll be able to embrace this proudly and it would be your passion because I feel as if um, it would, I would have been a lot happier then. Um, so yeah, that's the advice that I would give to my younger self and that's the advice that I'd give to any Caribbean person who wants to write romance, not romance plus trauma, not romance plus let's take a history lesson about colonialism or anything like that. Just a regular, regular romance that represents the kind of life that we're generally living in this moment. We, we go out to restaurants and lament about how our ex-boyfriends treated us badly while having cocktails. And then Mr. Wright may be having beers with his friends like across the way. We do have house, like those sorts of things. Um, there's space for us to exist and to exist proudly. That's a great conclusion, really. I'm so happy because I'm sure it will help people. I'm sure it, it would be great. I'd also say write the Caribbean experience that's authentic to you. Um, whether or not people are having debates or think pieces about whether or not your authentic Caribbean experience is the authentic Caribbean experience should be relevant because our islands may be small, but we're living myriads of lives within it and everybody's voice should be heard. Tim Tim, Tim Tim, I hope you guys enjoyed this discussion. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. There might be a bonus next month, so stay tuned for that. As for me, I'm going back to Caro Caramon, my podcast about the representation of the Caribbean in cinema and television. I'm also working on a music podcast, Hashtag Stream Caribbean. But you know, writing will always be my first love. Please keep sharing the episodes of Tim Tim, Boafik. Keep supporting these authors and other Caribbean authors that I hope were inspired to keep thriving or 
to start writing. Don't forget that this Caribbean literature community cannot exist without your support. And for the last time. Thank you for listening. Make sure to check out timtimboafic.com for more Caribbean books. You can email me at timtimboafic at gmail.com or you can follow me on Instagram at timtimboafic. You can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Core. And to help the podcast to get more visibility, share it with your friends, your family, your neighbors, and you can give it five stars on Apple Podcasts. I hope you enjoyed this episode. See you à dans d'autres soleils.